0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure and privilege to welcome you to the program. We've been on a journey for quite a number of weeks studying the future hope. And today it's a beautiful uh, subject which we are going to look into, all things new. I would like to welcome our panel today. It's good to have you with us, Ken. Thank you, Nick. It's always a pleasure to be here. Denise, it's good to have you joining us.
1: Thank you, Nick. It's a privilege to be part of this panel.
0: Brenton, thank you for being part of this.
2: Nick, it's um, going to be a very interesting subject to share today. Joe,
0: thank you for uh, joining. It's
3: good to be here. Thank you, Nick.
0: Jerry, thank you for being part of the program. Yeah, thank you, Nick. I'm very much looking forward to this subject. Len, it's good to have you with us.
4: Thank you, Nick. It's a flood of pleasure. And hello, listeners.
0: Will, it's good to have you part of the program today. And most of all, I would like to thank you for putting together the program, the study for today. And uh, yes, it's good to have you part of this. Thank you,
5: Nick. It's been inspirational to uh, look at the subject of all things new.
0: Will, please take us through this study today. Sure. Thank you, Nick. In our service for the Lord,
5: to endure discipline and even hardship in this life will ultimately reward us with life in eternity. <clears throat> and in second corinthians four chapter second uh, uh, corinthian say that again in second corinthians 417 in the new living translation the apostle paul reminds us that for our present troubles are small and won't last very long yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and
3: oh, will
1: oh, last oh, what is it? Sorry, there
5: is, yeah. something right. going on there. You're not on mute there. Uh, sorry, let me let me start that again.
3: Sorry, Joe. Uh, sorry, sorry, Will.
5: <clears throat> Nick, I'll start from the start if you don't mind. In our service for the Lord, to endure discipline and even hardship in this life will result in the reward of eternity. In Second Corinthians four seventeen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Apostle Paul reminds us that for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Now picking up on this assurance, our Mormon friends have a favorite hymn written by William Clayton which has also been included in the Seventh-day Adventist hymnal. And I'd like to quote from that hymn. Come, come, he saints, no toil nor labour fear, but with joy wend your way. Though hard to you this journey may appear, grace shall be as your day. Tis better far for us to strive our useless cares from us to drive. Do this and joy your hearts will swell. All is well. All is well. Second verse says, why should we mourn or think our lot is hard? Tis not so. All is right. Why should we think to earn a great reward if we now shun the fight? Gird up your loins. Fresh courage take. Our God will never us forsake. And soon we'll have this tale to tell. All is well. All is well. Well, today we want to address the amazing assurance planned for us all by God. But first we must pray. Joe, would you pray for us, please?
3: Yes, beautiful words from the hymn that you read from us for us will. Father, help us to catch a vision of what the heaven and the earth made new will be like. Life here can be hard and sometimes even overwhelming, and sometimes it may seem even a bit too much. But we know from your word that there is so much, much more than what we may experience here. If we just think of the best times, the times that we' have been the happiest happiest without any reservation, and multiply it so many times more. That is your desire for each and every one and all who hear. Your desire, you desire and have planned a future that is beyond words or expectations, and your heart yearns for the finish of sin and death, an end to all evil and pain, so that you may be forever with all your children in eternity. Please be with our discussion today, and give us a vision and a desire to be there all the more. Teach and revive our spirits. Through your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.
5: Amen. I'd like to talk a little on uh, the new heavens and the new earth. And, of course, that's what Joseph just prayed about. You know, it appears that God's initial plan for Israel, his covenant people, and then triggering change for the whole world, was to bring them back to the order and the holiness that existed before the fall Yes Progressively here on earth. Now I'd like to know what your views are, Len on this
4: Yes, well I couldn't agree more. Jeremiah chapter twenty nine verse eleven God says what he wants or wanted from human beings, from his people. I'll read the verse it's a beautiful verse. Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, that was his plan for mankind, that mankind should be at peace and happiness. But, of course, sin has got in the way and... The Jews, at least the Israelites, were to be God's representatives and God was going to bless them. But, of course, they fell into sin and idolatry even. And so things didn't work out. But God still has that plan. And he outlines it in the book of Isaiah, chapter 65 and verses 17, through to 25 and I'm going to read this I know it's going to take a little while but I think it sets the scene for our discussion today and it gives you something to aim for listeners and it's talking about the recreation of the heavens and the earth verse 20 never again Will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days? Or an old man who does not live out his years? Who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them. Or plant and others eat For as the days of a tree So will be the days of my people My chosen ones Will long enjoy the works of their hands They'll not toil in vain Or bear children doomed to misfortune For they will be a people blessed by the Lord They and their descendants with them Before they call I will answer Well they're still speaking old here And then another picture The wolf and the lamb will feed together And the lion will eat straw like the ox And we'll stop just there Now this is not airy fairy stuff This is God is going to provide for his people So that there will be none of this Rubbish That we have to go through in our lives And it's not just on a spiritual sense It's physical You'll notice I read that verse No longer will they build houses And others eat of them It talks about physical things So God has planned something very special And you know what? I want to be there to enjoy it But there's something I want even more I want to meet my Saviour face to
5: face. Thank you, Len. We well know that God's faith challenge to all mankind through these chosen people, the nation of Israel, uh, did not work out too well. Len, as you have said, they failed. So what option was now laid before this world?
2: Basically... Basically, in Isaiah, in, earlier in Isaiah, you find some interesting comments, um, particularly Isaiah 9 verse 6 is one that we all know well about the coming of the Messiah. So God's plan to restore was not only to restore Israel; will, it was also to bring about restoration in the whole of his creation. Um, <clears throat> when Christ came... I was reminded of what Christ actually said in Luke chapter 4 where he went to his hometown of Nazareth just after he had begun his ministry and he said this The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to heal um, to bind up the broken hearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Christ's ministry primarily consisted of healing and teaching. And right at the end, after he had been crucified, rose again from the dead, he gave the gospel commission will to his disciples. Now, this is interesting because Len was reading from Isaiah 65. Now, the very first couple of verses of Isaiah 65 make a very interesting comment. They say something along the lines of, I was found of them who did not seek me. There is a suggestion, even in Isaiah 65, that the, the good news, the good news of the restored earth was to go to everybody, not just to the nation of Israel. By the time Christ came to this earth, it had become a very exclusive event indeed, and Christ is challenging them again in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20, that the gospel needs to go to the whole world. Even when Christ, on the very day that he was ascending to heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they're asking him this question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And his answer was, it is not for you to know the times and seasons, uh, but you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and unto the utmost parts of the earth. So the plan that God had to restore Israel, even though it failed, as you've quite rightly pointed out, is carried out today in the Christian church. But it is all of God's grace. We all know that we're saved by grace. We know that the power that we're given comes from the Holy Spirit. So it's the grace that is poured out upon us and the power that is given to us by the Holy Spirit that enables us to spread this good news and ensure that other people are ready for Christ's return as well. So change of plan, but ultimate, um, the, the ultimate goal is still the same.
5: Thank you. Yes, Brenton. Well, looks, let's for a moment go right back <clears throat> to reality are there people who just don't believe in the second coming or even a new heaven and a new earth, uh, people that ridicule it by saying that it's just pie in the sky, by and by?
1: Yes, Will. Um, the Bible actually p- predicts that in the last days scoffers will ridicule um, the second coming and try to make it uh, seem a non-event. And we get that from... Second Peter chapter 3 in verses 3 and 4, and I'm reading from the New International Version. It says in verse 3, First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And it talks, the other verses talk about them forgetting about creation, forgetting about uh, the flood and what, what God has done in history. There's also in verse 13 a wonderful reassurance for people. It says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness.
4: Then, I don't know if you've ever heard of Pascal's wager. Haskell was a mathematician and a philosopher And obviously he was quite a religious man And he made a proposal which has been called a wager If you don't believe in God uh, And you just live your life Well that's all you get But if you do believe in God and you believe in his word There is so much more So, as far as I can see, as Christians, we have so much more. if it's not true, we haven't lost anything from anybody else. But if it is true, and I believe it is true, there is so much more that God has prepared for his people. It's not pie in the sky. I believe it. Martin Luther believed it. Jesus taught it, it's not pie in the sky. So why wouldn't you believe it?
2: Yes. Will, can can I suggest um, what Denise read is very interesting because what what she's read actually states that these people don't believe that there is going to be a second coming. Now, this is almost contradistinction against what Christ himself said. You might remember in uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13 and Luke 21, where he talks about the evil servant saying, my Lord delays his coming. So there's a double danger there. There's those who are are scoffers who don't believe that Christ is going to return at all. And the reason they give is because everything seems to be the same as it always has been to the evil servant, which is someone who does believe that Christ is going to return. But he doesn't believe that it's going to happen anytime soon. And as a result, he puts off, um, being prepared for it. So I think the challenge in these verses is, as Len quite rightly pointed out, we all want to be there. We all want to be there on that day to see that new heavens and the new earth. But there is a double danger. We can be, become skeptics or we can just simply get caught up in the cares of this life and become too busy and too preoccupied that we're not prepared when. Uh, Christ does return. So I think there's both a challenge and a warning there for us.
5: Yes, indeed, Brenton. You know, they say that uh, being almost saved is just as bad as being completely lost. That's right. After all that we've said so far, isn't the whole concept of heaven just ethereal or spiritual? I mean, is it really a physical place with real Tangible benefits people can enjoy and experience Joe
3: well yes, I believe it is um, it's not just wishful thinking or a fantasy, I think it's as real and and as material as the world we live in today. you know that it was said of Abraham in hebrews eleven ten for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now this is referring to a real city. With foundations designed and built to perfection by God for his people. Um, very often, um, co- or contrary to popular belief, um, heaven is not where, where our spirits sit on clouds playing harps in a happy stupor forever. Uh, um, that would be so, so boring. <laughs> and this this cliched depiction, I believe, is a contrivance of Satan to disparage and discourage a desire to be there, and it mocks God. So, what has God planned? What is heaven like? Well, it's as the Bible says, and I, I think that um, Len has read much of it. But I'll read a text from First uh, Corinthians two nine. I hath not seen nor ear heard neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. We know that Len read that, um, you know, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, literally new earth, um, that, that people will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit and they will enjoy the work of their hands. And it shows that it's a real physical existence and not one that is invisible or intangible. The world will be recreated for real people and real animals, planting and enjoying the fruits of their labours, building houses, inhabiting them, living authentic lives. They will recognise those they once knew and will make new friends. Friends which, or friendships which last forever, and there's nothing ethereal about it.
2: Right. there is another interesting point that um, Joe certainly alluded to. Um, In Revelation 21, verse 16, it actually gives you the measurements of the New Jerusalem. Now, Bible commentators state the reason as to why those measurements were given to show that there is a literal New Jerusalem, which is 500 kilometers by 500 kilometers. (laughs) Um, The measurements are put there for a reason. I believe it's put there firstly in the first century AD to convict the people who would have been reading the book of Revelation or hearing it um, that there is, in fact, a literal New Jerusalem that one day we're all going to go to. And I think, as Joe said, these we're not talking about pie-in-the-sky stuff. We're talking about stuff that is tangible. And I believe that's why God has put things like these measurements in his word, to encourage us to believe that we are going to a literal uh, New Jerusalem, a literal heaven.
5: Good point, Brenton. Yes, so uh, we have we've heard now about a physical city called the New Jerusalem. and By the way, it's uh, great to read of the aspects or the, the description of the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. But I'd like to ask, regarding worship, and uh, we'd like to talk a moment on the temple of God for a moment. Is there a church or a place of worship or a temple um, there in the New Jerusalem?
6: jerry Uh, yes well in revelation chapter 7 verse 15 we read therefore they are before the throne of god and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them and yet if you go to revelation 21 verse 22 this is john the revelator speaking about the new jerusalem he says but i saw no temple in it for the lord god almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So there appears to be a contradiction here. So let's have a closer look. If we go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, if we just go back a few chapters, it says here in verse 21, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And in Revelation 4, verses 2 to 6, That's interesting reading because it uses, as we will see, uh, sanctuary imagery, which is temple imagery. And if we start in verse 2, it says there, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one who sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now, I found that interesting because the mention of these stones uh, is also what we find on the breastplate of the high priest and the high priest of course is in the sanctuary in the temple it goes on to say further imagery of the uh, sanctuary in verse 5 it says it talks about the seven lamps of fire that were burning before the throne again this is temple imagery revelation 4 verse 6 says and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Now I just want to make a, a diversion, if you like, to um, Ezekiel chapter one, verse four. Ezekiel has a vision of God's glory. Now it's interesting reading because it says there, then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it. And radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire so i read these verses and i all the words how it's worded and to me it's like a dazzling almost blinding display of light so i asked the question could it be that the brightness emanating from god's throne was so great that he didn't see the temple even though the temple was there in verse 23 it says, the city had no need of the sun, of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. And I would conclude that the brightness of the glory of God is greater than the brightness of a heavenly body like the sun that he's created. Mm. That's just that's just my thought. I, I don't know if uh, panel members have a different understanding.
2: What do you think, panel members? Brandon. My comment is not directly to what Jerry has said, but it's regarding, he, here's a thought that I've thought about during the week as I studied this topic, and that is this. Um What is the purpose of God's people serving Him before him day and night in his temple? Obviously, the role of a priest in the Old Testament was what? There were several roles. The first one was they were an intercessor, They were mediating between God and the people. Now, that's no longer functioning in the context in which we're talking. So one of the things that I found interesting in thinking about this, and it's just a suggestion, Will, is that one of the other functions of the priestly class was to teach the people, teach the people the law of God, teach the people... I wonder whether those of us who are saved and function as priests before God in his temple, I wonder whether part of the function of, uh, shall we say, the new heaven and the new earth is the teaching process. Remember, the only people who will be present in the universe who have understood what it is to be saved by grace will be those saved from this earth. So I'm just wondering whether we will have a role to play in sharing with people God's grace and how it was poured out upon us, which will be an absolute revelation to the angels and to the unfallen worlds.
5: Yeah, it's very interesting indeed.
3: I just wonder, in relation to what Jerry just said, I think maybe we're—are we limiting God's um, His omnipresence? just to one place, and whether his throne and his temple are where his throne is, probably at the center of the universe, where all unfallen creatures, all other worlds have access to him, and maybe his throne as such is not in the city itself, that the, his, the actual temple is somewhere else, but God's presence is throughout the universe so that we aren't limiting God in one place. He is everywhere, and the Lamb and the Father God are actually in the city in the sense that they grace us with their presence and their light. I'm just wondering how to reconcile those two without make limiting God to one place only.
5: Yes, we can get lost in conjecture on this thing. Len? Yeah, we can. Yes,
4: I'd just like to follow on from what Joe has said. Um, Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 33 says, From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Now, in my way hmm. of thinking... We won't all be going to a temple because I don't think it would be big enough. (laughs) And as far as I'm concerned, uh, the presence of God is enough. We don't need a place. Now, I'm not actually answering the question that Jerry was endeavouring to answer. But this I do know from what the Bible says, that we will worship God on a regular basis. And that's good enough for me. I don't need to go to a temple to worship.
6: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? So, Ken, I, I don't have the definitive answer there. I don't profess to have it. Um, but I think, I think the, the, the original question was, is there a temple in heaven or not? Because these two, uh, uh verses from Revelation appear to be in contradiction to one another. I, I think personally that there is a temple in heaven and, uh, I'll be happy to be proven otherwise. <laughs> we'll see.
5: Denise, what is your uh, your view on the temple in heaven?
1: From what I've seen in uh, Revelation, um, in Revelation 21 and verse 22, um, John the Revelator said, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. So it almost seems like the presence of um, God and Jesus are constitute the temple. And then in um, Isaiah 66 verse 23, as Len pointed out, each in the new heavens and the new earth, Uh from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me. So that's that's um a worship a worship service. Um so bow down before um the Lamb and before God. And there was another text from Psalm sixty five verse two which says, O you who hear prayer to all to you all men will come and God is the one who hears our prayers. So whether there's a physical building or not, I don't think that that matters because I think the function is about worship and showing uh, praise, adoration uh, to God and to the Lamb.
5: Yes, well, let's talk about the presence of God for a few minutes. We turn our attention to uh, considering that the majority of mankind over the centuries, has viewed the eternal God as remote and elevated far beyond the realms of man. Uh, what intimate change would you say then takes place on the new earth? Ken?
7: Well it appears according to the Bible that uh, the new earth that God will dwell with them is unapproachable. That is we read in First Timothy Six in verse 16 and it does say that no one has ever seen God but we could easily suggest that the saints in heaven will never see God, that the Father that he remains high and lifted up very remote from his created beings, which of course is, is uh, not the case at all not at all, it's quite evident that not seeing God refers to human beings on earth after the fall into sin because there are several indications in scripture that the saints will actually see him in heaven. We shall see him as he is in First John chapter 3 and verse 2 to 3. His servants will see him, Revelation 22 and verse 3. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, Revelation 22 and verse 4. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Matthew 5 and 8. People of God are privileged to hold open communion with the Father and the Son. We see through a glass darkly now, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we behold the image of God reflected as in a mirror in the works of nature and in his dealings with men. But then we shall see him face to face. Without a dimming veil between us, we should stand in his presence and behold the glory of his countenance. And that's from the wonderful book, The Great Controversy, G. White. So it certainly makes it clear that when the saints get to heaven and also when we come back to this earth, that we will certainly be in the presence of God. And uh, I believe what Denise was saying earlier on about praise, I don't believe myself there will be a temple as such. I believe we will all, because there will be millions, perhaps even billions of human beings there, we will all bow down and worship before him.
5: What a wonderful prospect, hey, something to look forward to. Um, Brenton?
2: Well, it, to me, seems logical. Christ, or God, actually walked and talked with our first parents. We find the first mention of that in Genesis 3, unfortunately, after they'd sinned. But obviously, it was his, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was his custom to come down in the cool of the evening and walk and talk with those who'd created. So if we're talking about a restored new heavens and a new earth, why would we not be able to see the Father's face? Why would we not be able to see the Son's face? Because if they're restoring it to what it was back in Edenic times, that's the relationship. And I believe that the new heaven and the new earth, above all things, is about relationship. Now, it's pretty hard to have a relationship with somebody you can't see. So I think it's fairly logical from Scripture to believe that we will see the Father's face because we will reflect his character. And uh, that's the reason why we'll be able to see both he and the son.
5: There is an aspect of eternity that Christians give a lot of thought on. It's the matter of no more death or tears. You know, right throughout our studies this quarter, we have been repeatedly confronted with a serious dichotomy. The matter of death and tears in eternity deserves another comment today, I believe. The theory of an immortal soul suffering forever in an ever-burning hell contradicts the biblical teaching that in a new heaven and a new earth there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Now, that means to me no crying anywhere in the universe. Yes. If the theory of an eternally burning hell were true, then the second death would not eradicate sin or sinners from the universe, but um, only confine them to the perpetual torment of sorrow and crying. And even more, in this case, the universe would never be fully restored to its original perfection. There would, I believe, always be an unhappy corner, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, just somewhere out there. But, of course, we praise the Lord that the Bible paints a completely different picture. What is your understanding of the conditions in eternity's future, Len?
4: Yes, well, let me preface what I want to say. Just mentioning that in our morning worship, my wife and I have been reading a book by Bill Johnson. And one of the uh, morning worship titles was Why I Look Forward to the Second Coming of Jesus and the Restoration of the Universe. And he points out, yes, with all the the uh, sorrow that's caused through death and the loss of loved ones, that's a really good reason. And he goes into some of these things, which I'm now going to talk about, but then he talks about what's going to give him the most joy. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. He that's God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, if that's not something to look forward to, I don't know what is. This is for eternity. This is not just for a mere 70 or 80 years or something. My dear old mum died just before she got to 101 and she had a worn out knee and walking was very difficult and she looked forward passionately to when Jesus would come again and God would recreate this universe. Now I don't have a worn out knee but I'm aware of the suffering and what's going on here in this earth? Earth is a miserable place. I know it has little spots of joy here and there, but overall it's a, it's a miserable place. And God intends to take away all this misery, all this suffering, all the, the death and everything to give us what he originally planned for mankind, a happy, holy, healthy untroubled life I want to read a couple of other texts Isaiah 25 verse 8 says he this is God will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth and then adds for the Lord has spoken And then from Revelation chapter 7 verse 13 For the Lamb, that's Jesus, who's in the midst of the throne will shepherd them And lead them to living fountains of waters And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes There'll be no more sorrow and trouble Because we'll be living in a perfect environment Now if that's not something to look forward to I don't know what is and I trust and understand that every person on this panel today has the same hope the same reassurance that the Apostle Paul wrote about the blessed hope the return of Jesus and the restoration of all things as God intended when he first created this world
5: Yes, Len, I I can actually recall a little conversation that I had with your mum about uh, the future and eternity. And I can recall her very clearly saying that she looks forward to uh, a future without pain and in the presence of Jesus. I guess this is an appropriate time for me to ask the panel, what intrigues you personally about eternity? about heaven about being with this savior uh, perhaps you'd like to give me some of your insights or your hopes len
4: well i think we've got um it's like a double a double cone triple stacked ice cream <laughs> we we don't just get one thing we get things multiplied as i've just mentioned but as far as i'm concerned the thing that intrigues me most, the thing that I look forward to most is a pleasure I've never actually experienced physically. And that's being in the presence of my savior and my God. That's what I look forward to
5: most. Something to look forward to indeed. Anyone else? Ben? Well, I think there's actually so many
7: things Glenn has just said, I don't think, speaking personally, I can pick one particular thing. But some of the things that really excite me, if that's perhaps the right word, is firstly, sin will be abolished. There will be no more sin ever anywhere, which I think is really wonderful. One of the things also really excites me is we're on this planet Earth, which really in the scheme of things is just, is just a grain of salt in the sea. And the universe is endless, I believe, and I'm looking forward, I believe, to see the wonders that God has created and seeing just the amazing things that none of us know anything about because I'm, I'm a very curious person. I like to know a lot about stuff, and I'm just really looking forward to uh, searching out all the wonderful things that God has out there that we know nothing about.
5: Yes, indeed. Jerry.
6: As Ken was saying, it's difficult to single out one, one particular thing, um, above everything else. But, um, do you remember the joy you have when you meet a friend, a loved one whom you haven't seen for many years? I've had that happen to me many times because my, my parents came from the Netherlands and, um, uh, you know, there were times where there was a big gap in years where they didn't see each other but then when they did see each other the joy the joy that they had when they came face to face again and embraced i imagine that that um, heaven will be like that and to think that that every person you meet there is fully trustworthy as if he or she were your very best friend and that that alone to me is something to look forward to where you, you just experience that kind of joy day by day.
2: Yes, thank you. Brendan? Well, the very first lesson that we studied in our series is entitled Rebellion in a Perfect Universe. One of the things, or probably one of the key things for me, is going to be talking to God about how could rebellion begin in a perfect universe. And how was the plan of salvation laid out? Because we are told that we'll be learning about the plan of salvation throughout eternity. So I think some solid grounding over and above what the Bible has given us from God himself about how sin began and why it began and what the Godhead did about it. I think it'd be absolutely wonderful, because at the end of it, as we've suggested in our notes here, what we will do is cast our crowns before him and say, worthy is the lamb that was Mm -hmm. slain. For me, that will be a real plus, I think.
5: I remember reading something once which uh, said that uh, if if our reward was just an hour in eternity or in heaven with its superlative joys, um, all of our struggles on earth would be worth that super experience of uh, one hour in heaven. But, of course, God plans a lot more than an hour for us each. You know, I um, we, we need to remind ourselves that uh, God is planning something very, very wonderful. The Lord has promised that in the new heaven and the new earth that he is creating, the former things will not be remembered nor will they come to mind. And this doesn't mean that heaven will be a place of amnesia, but rather that the past will not undermine the the enduring joy of heaven. No, we can already, I believe, rejoice in God's goodness and love. Then we can continue that praise throughout eternity in his marvelous presence one writer expresses the profound joy and peace that will be the experience of the redeemed. And, Joe, I believe you have the statement for us.
3: Yes, Will, I'll just go and read it. It's just beautiful. The cross of Christ will be the science and the song of the redeemed through all eternity. In Christ glorified, they will behold Christ crucified, Never will it be forgotten that he whose power created and upheld the unnumbered worlds through the vast realms of space, the beloved of God, the majesty of heaven, he whom cherub and shining seraph delighted to adored, humbled himself to uplift fallen man, that he bore the guilt and shame of sin and the hiding of his father's face till the woes of a lost world broke his heart and crushed out his life on Calvary's cross. That the maker of all worlds, the arbiter of of all destinies, should lay aside his glory and humiliate himself from love to man, will ever excite the wonder and adoration of the universe. The great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love.
5: Yes, Indeed, by that Amen. time, all the created universe will know that God's patience and love to having sustained things throughout the period of sin and turmoil and trouble um, has been one of great mercy. I, um, As you were reading that, uh, Joe, I thought of all the difficulties and the woes that uh, this world experiences, wars and only this week. Uh, three children being found um, in a wrecked car or beside a wrecked car with both of their parents having lost their lives. Uh, it's dreadful stuff. Some, some change has got to come, and God's heart tugs at all of these difficulties. Joe?
3: I just wonder if it's worth mentioning that these beautiful quotes came from the book, The Great Controversy, and that it is available.
5: Yes, yes, certainly. Well, the appeals of God, as often as they've been repeated through the ages, and particularly in our own personal lives, I believe need to be met with a clear response. It is the prayer of this panel and this radio network that everyone, both panel and listener, would thoughtfully consider His love and grace and commit themselves to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In this way, we would be answering his invitation to live forever in the place that he has prepared for us all. And to this end, we, I believe we should pray, and I will ask
2: Brenton to offer that prayer for us all. Hmm. Father in heaven, what can we say, other than worthy is the lamb that was slain, to receive power and honour and riches and glory and blessing. We thank you for this series of studies. We thank you that there will be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. We thank you that the day is coming soon when we will see God the Father and we will see Jesus face to face and we will be in his presence forever. Lord, we cannot understand what forever actually means because our minds are limited by finiteness. We cannot comprehend forever. But we thank you that you've promised it. And just like children who have a loving parent, we accept without equivocation and without um, murmuring exactly what your word teaches. We thank you that you've promised to make all things new, that there will be no more sickness, suffering, pain or death, that the former things will have passed away, and we thank you for a glorious future which is endless, where we will not only be in your presence, but where we'll be be able to travel and see the other wonders of your creation and learn more of the plan of salvation and how much it cost the Godhead in sending Jesus to this earth to be our substitute. Lord, all glory and honour go to you today. And as we close our series of studies today and our listeners are listening to it, we pray that each one of us in our own hearts will lift our hearts in praise and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Lord, in closing, may I add my thoughts to what John has written, even so, Lord, come quickly. Mm -hmm. We pray that that will be soon and that we will be ready to see you face to face We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
6: Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today. It
0: was really good to see you all. Full panel, and it was a great study to finish the series, as you just mentioned. I will invite you, dear friend listening, to have a wonderful time for this period of the year, to have a happy new year. To be blessed by God, we are uh, studying for the future hope, but God is inviting us to manage the time we live in for the Master until he comes. Next uh, Bible study, which will approach in the new series, will be part of God's family. I hope that each one of you will find yourself into the family of God. May God richly bless you. And uh, looking forward to hear from you again. God bless.